You know you got to sing along. Don't you know? This is the Katniss HR Podcast, hosted by Jason Katniss. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners, founders, and people in tech startups in HR. If you fall into one of these categories or are just curious about them, then this is the podcast for you. You will gain great insights from these great conversations. The Cabinet's HR Podcast is brought to you by Cabinet's HR. At Cabinet's HR, we deliver HR to companies with 49 or fewer people by automating the HR process. We believe that you don't need a full-time HR person to receive full-time HR expertise. Hello, and welcome to the Cabinet's HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cabinet's. Our guest today is Rob Lifford. Rob, are you ready to be great today? Sure am. Yeah, sure am. Rob is a self-proclaimed startup HR expert. He has devoted most of his career to scaling startups and small businesses from the infancy up through IPO and beyond. Talent management has a spectrum of needs in the small and medium, and small and medium business world. And Rob has adapted those needs and developed fluid practices and procedures that result in award-winning cultures. Rob, thank you very much for being here today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate, appreciate your time. Thanks, Jason. It's, uh, it's, it's great to be with you. It's, it's always nice to talk to, talk to uh, people about something I'm passionate about in, in HR and people and, and treating people the right way. And so it, it's, it's good to talk to you uh, today about everything. <clears throat> so, Rob, you've had a, a long HR career. Can you tell me which position has been the most, and you've had to position from HR journalist to, you know, VP of HR. Can you talk a little about what position has been the most fun for you? Yeah. You know, so uh, back uh, early part of 2010, 11, I was in uh, a series of uh, at a company called Fusion IO and we were going through um, really fast growth, right? Uh, really, really fast growth. We were going to, I think ultimately we sold off the company our revenues were like $400 million. Uh, but we started small, really small. And, and that position, albeit, I think I was in seven different roles in, 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 a, in the span of five years as, as we were growing, was just a riot, right? Because we got to see so many things. And, and the stuff that we did early on uh, when we were really, really small to the stuff when we got a lot bigger with change, right? And so you kind of had this breathing organization in HR that had to change within adapt with the growth of, of, of the company. It was a lot of fun. Can you talk to someone about the difference between doing HR in a startup and a, and a, an established company? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, yes, there, there's, there's such, there's so many different, I remember going, it was like four, four or five months ago, I went to this executive, um, this executive round table and, you know, people from, from, you know, huge companies, Pepsi and, and, and a whole bunch of other talking about, you know, you know, laying out a, a huge recession plan, or excuse me, uh, uh, a huge plan um, for, you know, backfilling employees and, or, you know, key, key talent and that sort of thing. And I'm like, in a small company, I mean, it's, it's nice and you need to do it right, uh, you know, to go through that. But really, like, that's such, like, I thought to myself, man, this is such a luxury right now. Cause usually in a small, 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 medium business, you're just, it's, everything's a little bit more scrappy, right? I mean, you, you're dealing with, um, you know, when one person quits and you're, you're in a, a company of, of 30 people, 
you really feel that like you, you feel that, you know, and so your, your, the way you go about people changes uh, and how you react to that is different than if you were in 500 or a thousand people, one person quits, I man, it's the drop in the bucket. You, you know, it's just completely different. Um, and that, the other thing I really like about the difference between the two is just how much more adaptable you have to be at that small level. You have to really, um, you wear so many hats. You're the recruiter. You're the benefits guru. You're, you know, you're all these things um, under one roof. And so I, I personally love. That's why I like staying in that startup space, that small business space. Is that um, your day to day is different. I mean, your Monday versus Tuesday, you could be working on two completely different things. In a small business, it's great and all to like to plan that out. But you know, is it really a priority for you? Maybe, maybe not. Right. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's like I said, it's a nice to have, but like, uh, you know, usually it's, it just isn't, it isn't even remotely on your radar. So Rob, next question, what position, what, which HR position have we had where you actually grew the most, grew and learned the most? Yeah, I, so when I took my first uh, head of HR role, um, you know, it was for a healthcare company and in, in another growth situation where we were growing you know, year over year by, you know, 50 plus percent. And it was the same thing. I mean, uh, the way that I looked at how we were feeling talent and actually has shaped the way that I think about talent moving forward from here on out. Like, um, we had a lot of these really, really hard roles. And so we had to get very, very creative. Um, they're pharmacy technicians, I remember specifically, and we were gobbling up basically every pharmacy technician in the state. And it made me think very, very differently about how you go about filling these, these hard to fill roles out there. Um, it, it, was, uh, it made me grow up, from a strategic standpoint, it made me grow up pretty quick. So what would be those roles hard to fill, just the nature of the position itself or the labor market at the time? Yeah, the labor market was tight. Um, and frankly, there just wasn't, it was, it was, a, I mean, we were, we were easily the largest employer of that, of that talent in the state by a large margin. And um, we had, we had fished the pond dry, so to speak. And so we had to get creative about going back into, you know, the local schools and, and bringing in brand new graduated talent, which we didn't typically do in the past. And so um, we rethought how we went about training, uh, which, which was kind of a domino's effect. So when we brought in the new people that were straight new graduates, we had to do a really robust training to get them up to speed quickly. So it, that adapted, that we really had to be adaptive to, to the new environment. So Rob, from your point of view right now, the, the, the HR profession, HR, what are we getting right and what are we getting wrong? So, you know, it's been fun to watch the HR, HR in the last uh, five, six years, uh, or maybe the last seven, eight years is really, I mean, we talk about this, thing, this all the time. Uh, you see in the news where, or the HR world where we're getting, you know, we're getting, you know, the proper proper influence seat, right? Whether we're reporting the CEO or, or we're being more strategic, I, I think we're doing a great job of getting that right. Um, uh, and so we can be more in, influential in the, in our business needs. And that's something that as an HR practitioner, um, no matter what side, what side of the company you're at, you have to be a business person first and then making, and then you make sure that you're using whatever your scope of influence is to influence the business for, for the positive. Um, I think 
that's what, and we're, we're seeing more of that, right? I think where we, so on the, on the inverse of that, I think what we're getting wrong is we're still, there's still a lot of people that are transactional. It's a comfortable place to be. Um, you know, that we're, we're, we're stressed out about I-9s and W, you know, W-4s and all, all the things that, that need to be right. But the way I look at that these days is that's like, it's table stakes. Like you got to go and, you know, assuming that that stuff is going to be right. Um, so you can think about the strategic stuff. And I think, um, we just need to move, move, you know, move the needle forward a little bit on that piece. I know whenever like a, a new HR person comes talk to me, what first I try to tell them is like, you know, it's great to be a great HR person. Well, let's, what industry do you want to work in? Right. You want to work in fish, you know, manufacturing or tech. Let's, let's focus on industry first and learn the industry first. Right. Yeah, I think it's really important to get that get you have to be a businessman or business person, right? That that at the end of the day to be the difference that I see when I see a good HR practitioner and a, and an excellent one, um the excellent one always has great business acumen. They know they know their they not only know their own business, they know their competitors, they know the industry, uh whatever they're in because it it you know the way they think about how they can, how they can influence via people is, is a night and day different. Now I did HR in the army for 25 years. HR, if I was an entry unit, I had to learn how the entry people spoke. If I was a medical, how the medical people spoke. Each, each unit was different, had a different language, different acronyms, and you, and you had to adapt to the culture or else, or else you're going to fail. Yeah, that's, you know, it, it's so true. I, I, I would say it's always funny that the nomenclature inside of like industries are, are one thing, but then you'll have these like, these, you know, whether they're acronyms inside of even a business where they'll talk about something in your, and you have to understand how people are going to talk. So, I mean, you would address the way I would address uh, and deal with an engineer, software engineer is way, way different than, you know, how I was dealing with my, my frontline manufacturing people, uh, you know, when I was back in one of those roles. And so it's, it's, you just have to know your business. So Rob, maybe your, your opinion on this, and this is one of my pet peeves. You hear the news all the time, you know, company, you know, blank, did something wrong, you know, blase, blase. Where was HR at? How come HR didn't stop him? And I was like, I'm pretty sure HR was there telling him not to do this, right? You know, it's not like HR <laughs> is like a random Vogue operating status, you know. They, you know, they have a boss too, right? I just want to get your opinion on that. Yeah, you know, here's, here's my take on it. Like, humans will always be just that, human, right? And so, uh, while HR is... You know, we're influencers. Uh, we we try and you know, we try and and help people do the right thing. Um, if people kept doing the right thing, they wouldn't need, need wouldn't need HR, right? I mean, it's just is it's just the nature of the business, right? It's that that human nature where they have their accountability, they have their excuse me, they have their agency, um, and they're gonna you know, they're people always amaze me that they figure out a way to do something stupid. Right. And, and, you know, and that's what a good HR practitioner rather than, rather than, I mean, you know, sometimes you get upset and that's, that's just part of the beast. Like you just got to roll with the punches say, okay, look, I mean, the act like the season pro that you are when something silly comes down the pike, because that's, that's your moment to shine, right? When someone does something silly, how you respond to that. If you, if you, if you pop your top and just go, just, you know, just, really lose it on them like it's not you're you're missing an opportunity to to provide greatness as a leader regardless and by the way that that does not matter being a leader does not matter what position you're in i've seen plenty of 
you know, out of school HR generalist step up to step up to the plate and just knock it out of the park because you know they had an opportunity to shine and they took it. Rob, what advice do you have for new HR people, whether they're getting out of college soon or you know changing careers to get their first HR job? Because I feel like a, a lot of HR positions are like you know entry level, need two or three years of experience. And there's really no jobs out there except for like professionals like me and you who've been in, you know, the HR game like 10, 20 years. There's really nothing out there like, you know, brand new or, or it's like this person right to recruiting is that to me, that's not really an HR job. It's uh, it, as you go through, as you go through and you're, you're first coming in, there's two things I'd tell you. One, <clears throat> never stop learning. Right. And, and two, look at, uh, so never stop learning. And, and so as you go through, and learn from both good and bad. Like if you get into a gig, like understand uh, what that leader does really well. And like, I have, you know, I have in my, in my OneNote drive, I have just lists of like, Oh man, dude, this is what good looks like. Right. And then like, have your, whether you want to write it down or not, have your mental list of what bad looks like. So you don't do that. So that's, you know, because the idea is that one, at one point in your career, you know, somewhere down the line, you're going to run your own show. Um, do you kind of like need to start looking at that from, you know, the day that you step out of school or training or whatever it may be and get into the, into the world for two and two to go to your second question on, on getting into it. Uh, you know, finding that first gig, start with the internships, uh, you know, and network the heck out of, out of stuff. Like, you know, the stats to apply in and, and actually get a job are pretty tough versus, you know, networking in and knowing somebody and getting into it, getting into a role. Um, I mean, I can't, I hire, when I brought on interns, trying to think back, I mean, I hired almost, uh, almost all of them, right. You know, they came on for a couple months and unless they didn't want to be hired, we hired most of them and, and away they went. Right. And, and, and they came in and then they had a good place to land when they graduated from college. I mean, that's, that's how a lot of that works. And a lot of them gone out. It's fun to watch some of those guys now and gals, uh, you know, in the last, I've met with two of them over the last week and two of the internships have since gone on and they're both VPs of HR and doing great things. Right. And so, um, and they talked about, they, they all said the same thing. They talked about the good things they learned. They talked about the, the bad things that, that they learned when we were together too. So Ralph, from my point of view, you see like most HR people do a great job of, you know, networking with other HR people, like going to firm meetings, HR conferences, but not so well as like networking with business people. Like I don't, like, I don't think they're going to chamber of commerce meetings, marketing meetings. How do we, cha- do you see the same thing or how do we change that? Yeah. Uh, yes, I do see the same things. Um, so, so I'm based here out of Utah. Um, we, we have, uh, you know, we have a lot of, we do a lot of networking, uh, both on the HR side. And then one, one of the things that I changed in the last five years on my personal networking strategy was just what you talked about. I'm like, I've got to network beyond, beyond that. And there's a couple ways to go about it. Um, um, you can start it in, if you're, if you're a, a one man shop, um, you do it actually through, you start your networking through your recruiting process, right? Because if you're recruiting, there's going to be a whole bunch of people that didn't get the job versus who did. And if you give them a good, uh, you know, leave them with a good taste in their mouth, you know, they, I've seen plenty of times where I've gotten calls from, from people that I recruited and didn't and didn't hire where they're like, say, Hey, we had a good experience. Are you interested in this next gig? Right. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. And then the other thing is, is like, uh, in Utah, they have this really great, uh, it was actually last week, um, a really great event called Silicon Slopes tech summit. And it was, um, and it, it had 20, you know, so we go to things like that. That one had 25,000, 
tech, technical professionals, and it was everything from your CFO down to your your customer service rep. And so uh, it was a lot of fun. Mark Mark, Mark Zuckerberg talk, uh, spoke at that one. It was and it was great. I, I, I you got to see a whole bunch of uh, coworkers from other companies that you used to work with, and you know, and you get the ball rolling that way. Rob, can you talk a little about your about your own company? Yeah, yeah. So, so I started a company about a year ago. A year ago, called Alta Scout. Alta Scout was a um, a, a brainchild of one of my partners. Um, what happened was, um, so I was I, I left my my previous company after four years and came on. and was hired at, at at a venture capital firm called Alta Ventures. And um, as we were discussing uh, some of the, the difficulties that that venture capitalists deal with when they are either um, you know, bringing companies in the portfolio or having their companies expand. We started uh, talking about an offering and it seemed that it seemed that we came back to the same thing, growing portfolios, small businesses don't are not attracting talent the correct way. And, um, you know, and it, when I spoke, when I was at that, that other company, I spoke about, uh, fusion IO, we, um, you know, we did some a lot of a lot of things that were great. A lot of things that that um, that we wanted to build on. And so, um, and one of the things I did while I was there is I ended up, you know, out of necessity, doing a lot of recruiting as we were expanding. And um, there were there were things that I notes that I said, man, this is broken right now. We shouldn't have to do this. And then when I, you know, and as I progressed in my career, I thought the recruiting model as it is now is just it doesn't work. And so as we discussed that, that process internally at the venture capital group, we decided to open a company and address it and address some of the main follies. The biggest folly that, that we saw, uh, there, there was twofold. One attracting the, the number of talent, regardless of the, of the company, right? A lot of, a lot of new companies don't have that brand recognition that you're going to see out of the big boys. And so you have to overcome that. And so how do you go about that? And so you're going to have to create a, a technical platform that, that sources that. And then the second part is the pricing model stinks. Um, you know, the, the third party recruiting model as it is now where you're charging 20% of someone's salary on, on, commission is, is crazy. That just doesn't work for most companies. I remember my, one of my companies, the head of HR, we were $200 million in revenue. And if we did one or two, you know, out third party searches, it would blow up our budget for the year. Right. It just, it just, that's just how it is. And so we create, we went back to, we went, we took it back to the studs and said, look, what should it be? And we came out with a, what I call it. I call it a pseudo RPO model. And basically what it is, is it's, it's a, it's a model uh, uh, for recruiting that is designed for HR people, for small businesses. And we charge hourly, just like you would your accountant. So charge $90 an hour. And, and you, when you need us, you turn us on. When you, when you don't, you turn us off and we're always there for your needs. And it's, it's been amazing. We're able to hire engineers at about a fifth of the cost of a normal group. So we can hire an engineer and it costs our clients anywhere between 30, you know, three grand and six grand. Now, now I've heard of the flat fee model before, but this is the first time I heard the hourly model. So why, why not the flat fee and why the hourly model? And what's the kind of difference between the two? It seems like you're both trying to do the same thing. Yeah, here's, here's my take on it. Um, the first thing that always bothered me about contingency flat fee or whatever, maybe, um, it misaligned, it misaligned my personal, my personal, um, 
motivations with the company's personal motive with the company's motivations. If I if I am doing on anything contingency, whether it's flat fear or whatever, um, I am only motivated because to get somebody in that seat, whether they're good or bad, um, because that's the only time I get paid. If I go at an hourly model, I take a much different approach. It, it is as if I am an internal recruiter and I'm taking that consultative approach, right? Because I'm being compensated either way. And so I, if I want to get repeat business, I need to do a really good job. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. And so, and, and, and it, it, the, the other thing I like about it is that, you know, the company can decide, you know, which, you know, they don't have to feel rushed on the process. Nobody feels rushed. They just, they know what the rate is and that they want to use us and great. And it works out awesome. We have tons of repeat business. Um, people are incredulous at how, you know, how little we cost. Um, it, it's always funny that, uh, you know, we, the world has shown how much they're willing to pay for recruiting, but I never like it just because they're, you know, people are willing to pay. It doesn't make it right. And so I know it's a little purist, but that's, I mean, that's, that's the model we took and it's been successful. I mean, we're, you know, we're not, we're not going hungry by any, any stretch of the imagination and everyone's getting good. Uh, it's a good deal for everybody. How much pushback are you getting from traditional recruiters to say, Hey, you're taking money out of the recruiting game. You know, this isn't good for recruiters. Uh, I'm not on, there's several, rec- I, I'm not on a lot of people's Christmas card list, but we'll, we'll say it that way. Right. Uh, but you know, in, if you're disrupting a market, that's 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 what it's about, and you know, it's fine. Yes, and it's like if you're a recruiter, I know one of the ways you do it. Like you might work like four or five months trying to fill a position, and the company says no, then you basically the recruiter is basically like work four or five months and gets nothing, right? That's exactly right. Like the way, like I'm, we we think every recruiter should go this way. And, you know, if you're if you're so if you're out in your one man shop with recruiting, like I've been, I've been, you know, I've been in that world before and the income's about the same, right? It's just, you know, you just have to have a little bit, you have to have a couple more clients and, and, and it doesn't stop anyone from doing that. So Rob, as you know, there's so many recruiters out there, single recruiters, recruiter agencies, besides the hourly fee, what makes you different? Why should someone come to you? Uh, two, two things. We specialize in, in small, small, medium business, right? That's, that's the world we live in. Right. And so I, I understand, you know, the difference of a CFO and a controller for a GE is night and day difference than a CFO or controller for your, you know, a, a 20 person company, right? That's in retail. Like the, like I get that. And so I probably, if, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, we worked in very, very large companies with thousands of employees and we, we know how to do that, but like we really specialize in that, in that small business world. That's, that's who we are. That's what we know inside and out. And then the other thing is, is we are able to, we have a, a technology platform that we built out. Um, the CTO of our company, Trent St- uh, Staley was the tr- uh, CEO of applicant pro. And so uh, he was a co-founder and CEO of, uh, C- excuse me, CTO of Applicant Pro. And so we are HR experts and we know how to attract talent. Trent, Trent has really figured out from a technology standpoint, how to attract talent, how to, how to get the most out of job boards. Um, and we are able to provide as much talent as you need as from a, from a candidate flow standpoint, as if you were one of the big boys. It's, it's, it is what we are blowing the doors off of anything that, that I've ever seen in my, in my HR career. 
And do you have your own internal ATS that you use or you use something else? Uh, no, we, we, we bolt on to uh, what, uh, whatever ATS the companies are using, right? So if you're on Bamboo HR, Applicant Pro, whatever it may be, um, we bolt on to those and, and, and can get in there. Or if you don't have one, we, we, can, we can work with that as well uh, or make recommendations. We have, um, we have a lot of uh, uh, distrib- distribution uh, agreements that, that will help, you know, people find the, the right fit for them if they're, if they're in that world. But that's not our expertise. So Rob, let's talk about your VC time real quick. So I think stats show that, you know, only 1% of companies even get VC. And of course, that doesn't mean they're going to make it. If only 1% of companies get VC, why is there such a hype all the time, you know? Why is there so much, you know, like almost focus on startups to go the VC route? It's funny, I, you know, I it, the... There's a lot of money available right now. I, I, I've never seen the VC world quite as active as it is right, right now. I mean, it's, it's significantly different than like, you know, it was in 2008 through 2013, or 11, 12, 13. Um, you'll see there, there's two things that are happening. I mean, VCs in it just in general, like when someone gets it, it it's a hype machine, right? So you're just going to see it naturally see it in, in, in there. Um, as, as you know, and this is like, you know, my boss is going to kill me, but like, if you have a, the opportunity, don't take VC money. Go go bootstrap it. That that would always be that would be my first um, piece of advice. And then come into VC, come into the VC world when you're ready to expand rapidly, right? When you when you want to put gasoline on the fire, I think people have the idea that they're gonna they have this idea for a new business. Great, I'm gonna go raise some money and then build it. And it's it needs to be flipped. Go build the the process. You know, go build it. Um, build it out, make sure it works, and then go get the, the money so you can scale quicker. My partner, my other partner, Paul Alstrom, uh, wrote a, a, a great book called Nail It and Scale It. Um, and this is, this is as far as like, you know, small business world, go read that book. It, it's like for, for a small business, that is like the small business Bible, in my opinion. Um, it's knowing out your process, your, your offering, and then that, that will help with your scalability later on. A lot of people want to scale it and then nail it. And that just blows up in your face. So Rob, you know, as, as entrepreneurs, you're yours. So keep on going, you know, don't give up, you know, keep on driving. When should you give up? I mean, when should you say, you know what, <laughs> maybe this isn't time. Maybe the idea is not right. Maybe I don't have the right team. You know, I, I'm about to mortgage the house. I probably don't need to do that. You know, what, when should someone say, you know what, I, I need to, I need to do something different. You know, that, that is, that is the billion dollar question. I don't know that I have a, a wonderful answer for that. I think, uh, everyone's risk profile is a little bit different than, than, you know, it's all a little bit different. Um, I always pay attention to the customer. Um, if you're going to look at anything to, on whether you should quit or not, it's always look at your customer's response. If they're not responding to it, you don't have it right. And so you either need to pivot or stop. If the customer is not giving you, if the customer is not standing up in, in line and, and, and just, you know, be in just saying, yeah, I absolutely need that. So, something's up. And sometimes that just means it can be something small, like maybe their pricing's wrong, but if it's not that and they don't love the product and then, then you have an issue. Rob, can you talk a little bit about the startup and tech scene in, in Utah? Man. Yeah, it's, it's hot right now. Uh, uh, we are, we are, it's, 
it is is one of the hottest startup places, tech scenes, and and it's not just tech, right? Don't get me wrong, we have lots of tech, but um, you know, manufacturing's going like going like crazy right now. Our unemployment in Utah right now is you know bouncing around at three three percent, and it, you know, I think it last I saw it was the second lowest in the United States. Um, it, it virtually is a zero as, as far as I'm concerned. That, you know, it's, it's a virtual zero. Uh, there's a lot of innovation here, a lot of early stage stuff. You're seeing, you're seeing a lot of noise from, like I said, from those VCs that are, you know, out of state VCs that are coming in to, to uh, put in, you know, money in here. And you're seeing a lot of big, big exits, um, you know, in the last couple of, in the last couple of years, we've had some big ones. Qualtrics sold for $8 billion to SAP. We've had several IPOs and, and, and we have a lot of them, a lot of them come down the pike, uh, here in the next year, 2020 is going to be an interesting year for sure. A lot of up and comers right now making some waves. Uh, it's a good, good place to be. And, and the thing I like about it and, and don't get me wrong, like I was like, I'm, I'm a Utah homer. I love it here. It is that great. It's like that it's got the right mix of a good family place to raise your family. Um, if it's, it's got four seasons. So right now, I mean, the last we've gotten like 15 inches of snow in the last, in the last week. And so, you know, skiing is great on the weekends or for, for, you know, as we jump out and then, um, you know, it's really got a good business environment. It's, it's regulated, uh, correctly by the government. So you do, you're not dealing with crazy regulations that you might be in California or other States. And so it's just a good place to be. So speaking of California, are you seeing that most of the growth in Utah has come internal or a lot of people from the Bay area moving to Utah because of better pricing and better talent? Yeah. A lot of internal stuff right now. Um, I, we see in Utah, if they come from California, it's, uh, they're coming out from, from maybe a, it's a, it's a second, you know, they're opening up their second office. For example, uh, Thumbtack, uh, has, uh, you know, they open up a second office, eBay, a bunch, you know, a bunch of these big firms are coming out here. My, my, Microsoft from, from Seattle, uh, you know, they'll have their Adobe's got, uh, I don't know. I think we might be their second biggest facility um, out here, and they they will do that because our our talent from compared to, to California is about um, at least twenty five to thirty percent cheaper. Um, but a lot of the growth has been organic internally. Um, it's just you know people people uh, there's a real big entrepreneurial push in in Utah. The universities push it very heavily, and you're seeing a lot of fun young startups, like you know, meaning young founders. It's not, it's not uncommon to see founders that are, you know, you know, 21, 22, you know, 25, um, which is, is crazy to watch. It's awesome. I couldn't be happier for them. Rob, can you say your social media with us for you and your company? Some people are going to reach out to you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you can find us on our website at altascout.com. Uh, you know, our social, uh, we, we have, uh, uh, on Twitter, we're at altascout. You can find us on, on LinkedIn as well. Um, and then, uh, if you want to, if you want to follow me, I'm, I'm on, on LinkedIn. I don't do much social media from a Facebook standpoint. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you can find us on those major ones or you can get, get a hold of me directly at, uh, Rob at altascout.com. And that's R O B B with two B's, uh, at altascout.com. And to listen, we have the links to the social media on our show notes and you can find the show notes at www.cabinetshrblog.com and be sure to share this episode. Rob, what, and so your company is it just Utah-based or across the nation? 
we uh, we are based across the nation, but we are we recruit anywhere. Um, I mean, we, we're doing searches in New York, LA, uh, the Bay. It doesn't matter. We, we we recruit all over. We do a lot of recruiting out of Mexico. Um, and it helps help people set up. Um, well, people set up uh, dev shops down there if they need it. Um, there's a lot of great talent down that way as well. So yeah, we we are we are wherever wherever they need the talent. There's a good chance I've recruited in twenty different twenty different countries. So in basically every state out there. So it doesn't matter where you're at. Yeah, I just recently I recently just learned there's a lot of great talent down in Mexico. I never you know you hear about India, Ukraine, Brazil. I just recently learned about all the great talent down in Mexico. No, I, I'm I'm not here to tell you. So we so actually that's how that's how Alta Scout got got started. Um, we started by recruiting engineers. We have a we have a way of bringing engineers up to up finding them in the U or in Mexico and getting them up to to uh, to the United States. And it takes about three weeks to get them up to move them up here. And their visa approval is we get it done in the uh, about ten days. It's really fast. And it I'll, I'll tell you. I have yet to be stumped as far as finding the right talent in Mexico. They, they have done a tremendous job in their university systems at, at, at um, um, you know, really advancing that along. They, they're producing this uh, by volume. The last stat I read is that by volume, they're producing the same amount of, of software engineers uh, that the United States is in Mexico as a third of the population. It's amazing. So here's a question for you, Rob. And this is my point of view. It's like like American engineers. I'm just I'm just in the ballpark in this. When they when they graduate, they want like we'll say a, we'll say a hundred thousand a year, right? And then when you go to another country and we get for fifty thousand, all American engineers like price them out of the market, so to speak. You know, so so yeah, I think what's happening right now is is in the last ten years, um, engineering that that's been a really interesting. It's been really interesting to watch their how their um, how their salaries have progressed. Uh, it, it, they progress quite aggressively and you'll see, you actually see two bandwidths. What will happen is like when you come out of college, you'll see an engineer, a lot of software engineers will start around 65, 70, right? Straight out of school in Utah. This is Utah market real quick, right? Not, not, not the Bay. That's, that's separate, but you know, and they'll go from, from 60 to 90 real quick, two, three years. And then it kind of flattens out and they'll stay in that, you know, within a 20 K span of that for, probably five or seven. And then the good, the good ones will make another jump. And so they kind of have this, like this progressive, uh, S curve to go, go up. Um, and it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, some companies are looking for alternatives, right? Because they, they, they are probably, you know, they're pricing themselves out. You see that a lot, particularly, you know, particularly in the, in the small business world, uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of our clients said that it's just not something we can afford. Um, and that's why they've liked the alternative of going to, you know, going to Mexico and bringing them in. Look, and this is something that let's be honest, this is something the United States has been built on for, for, you know, two, the last 200 years is bringing in talent, right? That's, that's what we, that's why the United States is great because we have figured out a way to bring in talent for the last 200 years. Um, and it's, and, uh, you know, I think they're finally, they finally found a way to do it the right way to do it a way in which these people can prosper and, and better themselves and bring them in the front door versus, you know, some of the crap that you're seeing on, on you know, on the news outlets. So it's been it's been fun to watch. It's been fun to watch somebody, for example, come from Mexico and they are making. If they stay down there, they make about thirty five ish 
thousand dollars, you know, and they come up and, and double or double or your two and a half X that, you know, and they just can't wrap their head around that kind of gen, that's a generational wealth jump for them. And, and you can see that you are changing their family's dynamics for, for generations to come, which has been a really neat and rewarding place for us to be. I mean, I think most American companies would prefer to hire like, you know, in, ingrown American talent, but economics is, is economics, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it's true. The economics are, you know, there. And then, you know, the other thing is, is that, uh, yeah, the economics are definitely there. The thing I also like about Mexico versus maybe going to anywhere over on the east side, you know, east, eastern orient, that sort of thing is the time zone difference most of Mexico is in central time zone. So like, so from a management standpoint, it's way easier, way easier. I mean, you're talking basically everyone can stand on, you know, do your, do, you know, stay on their own standups and, you know, there's no special meetings. I mean, I have friends that are, you know, and I've done the same thing where I'm, you know, jumping on a meeting with, with my Australian colleagues at like 10 o'clock at night and my wife's not loving that at all. So, so I love, you know, that the dev shops in that I've seen open up in Mexico are amazing as well as, as, you know, the talent that's just coming out of there. That's great. They speak just tremendous English and, and, you know, the, the culturally they're very, very, they're very, very close to, to, to what we're doing here in the U S it's, it's just a great place. It's a great, it's a great situation. Rob, we're coming to the end of our talk. Can you give us any last minute awards or wisdom or advice or anything you want to talk about? Yeah, as an HR practitioner, I say what I, the one thing I would tell tell people is don't accept the status quo, right? A lot of people, as they go through it, you know, will accept that, you know, hey, we got to do it just because this is the way it's always been done. Like that is the most broken thought process I think that is out in business now is that we're going to do it this way because it's the way it's always been done. That's where innovation goes to die. And think through everything, challenge everything, understand the why behind everything, because that's, that's how you make, you know, not all, not all innovation has to be some, some rapid jump. You know, if you're making incremental innovation, you know, sooner or later that becomes something big. And so, but it has to, you know, you have to understand the why behind everything in order to do that. Rob, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Oh man, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. And remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cabinet HR Podcast. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and TikTok at Cabinet HR. Also check out our weekly live streams at the Cabinet HR Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Periscope, where we focus each week on an HR topic important for small business. These are every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and last around three minutes. To join our weekly HR email newsletter list. Send us an email to Jason Cabinus at CabinusHR.com. Thank you, and remember to be great every day.